Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 7th of July. Welcome to The Briefing. Today on the show, we'll take a deep dive on how Melbourne got hotel quarantine so wrong. There clearly was an oversight from the department. If they'd gone in to ask any of the guards, they would have discovered pretty quickly that they'd had no training. They would have been able to see that they weren't wearing PPE. Annika Smethurst is here right now. Let's get into the big stories of the day. New South Wales has now declared all of Melbourne a hot spot with everyone banned from crossing the border. From midnight Tuesday, all Victorians will be locked out indefinitely. What is happening now in Victoria is the overwhelming majority, I think in fact all of the cases that the Premier Andrews announced today are from community transmission. This is unprecedented in Australia. That's why the decision of the New South Wales government is unprecedented. That's the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian there explaining why she's now supporting border closure despite criticising them in the past, particularly when Anastasia Palaszczuk was holding on in Queensland. Um, that decision's now looking a little bit different in the current context. Yesterday, another two men died in Melbourne, while Victoria's Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton revealed the state's highest daily spike yet. Clearly 127 is a big number uh, and nobody wants to see it. And now authorities, Annika, have that big job of policing all the border crossings. Yeah, I grew up in a border town, actually, in Echuca, Moama, on the border. So it's going to be incredibly difficult for those people. Look, they are getting some sort of concession to go across if you've got school or work, but it's still going to slow things down. Yeah, and I believe your dad just snuck across the border last <laughs> night. He did. He's arrived from Victoria. Look, central Victoria, not Melbourne. Uh, but he's going to have to now get back in. And once again, it's a one-way trip. You can't turn around. And uh, the interesting thing is also Canberra. They're shutting their borders to Victorian later in the week. Now, I still have a Victorian licence, so I can't pop over to Queenbean or out to a winery because I won't be able to get back into my own home. Right. What about your number plates? Because I know they'll be watching out (laughs) for Victorian number plates. I actually have a Canberra car, so I should be right as long as I'm driving my car and I don't get pulled over. All right. Get that licence sorted out. Pauline Hanson's uh, Monday spot on the Today Show has been axed after she said this about people locked down in the public housing towers in Melbourne. The fact is that a lot of them are there drug are 3, addicts as people, well. Pauline. They've actually met medication, they're getting their medication, they're actually, they're alcoholics, so they're, they're being looked after that way. They're actually getting paid extra money. Why are they getting paid extra money? Um, for what? They're not leaving the premises. A lot of these people are from non-English speaking backgrounds, probably English is their second language, who haven't adhered to the well, rules of, of um, social distancing. Um, pretty divisive comments, Annika. Yeah, look, Nine later put out a statement axing her regular appearance on Monday mornings and they described it as ill-informed and divisive. Yeah, last night the t- Today's show's entertainment reporter, Gamilaroi woman Brooke Boney, responded on the ABC's Q&A program. I felt completely heartbroken. I grew up in Housing Commission and to me, I was thinking about all of those kids sitting at home watching or all of those people trapped in their apartments watching and thinking, this is what Australia thinks of us, this is what the rest of our country thinks is that we're alcoholics and drug addicts. And that's disgusting. It was a ridiculously unfair thing to say to stigmatise a whole group of people in that way and I wasn't surprised to hear Pauline Hanson say something inflammatory like that. But she's actually spent time in jail herself. She spent 11 weeks in jail for electoral fraud, and that was later overturned on appeal. But you think she'd be more understanding of people in that really tough situation in those towers. Yeah, and when you look at some of her supporter base, they're also often some vulnerable Australians Mm. and and some of the more low socioeconomic areas. So interesting from her. But look, even the ban does play into exactly what 
you know, her whole shtick is that the uh, I'm being shut down, the world's against me and you can't even have opinions and that's what she's out there saying now. Now, I don't agree with that but I think when she does get banned it, it produces a lot of sort of sympathy for her amongst her supporters and, and it fuels this. Right, so you actually think on a political level it helps her? 100%. It's the same sort of thing Trump buys into, that people are trying to shut him down. The mainstream media are against him and you've got to listen to me because I'm telling you the truth. And I think she really picks up on that. Um, so when she goes through these sort of days like yesterday, and we've seen them before, it ends up helping her whole cause. Yeah, and I guess then you wait and see if she's ever invited back onto those mainstream programs on a regular basis and therefore the whole thing goes full cycle. Yeah, and often you do see her pop up again because she does just get that clickbait. It's been nearly three days since those towers were locked down. Many residents say authorities still haven't brought them any food. Yeah, last night photos emerged of essentials that had been left by charities being confiscated. They were then later returned. I want people to understand. Every single person I spoke to in our community is not against the lockdown. But the way they approached, the way they managed it is inhumane and in, in disrespectful way. That was Gourmet Magengsha speaking from the hard lockdown. 53 infections have now been confirmed in nine buildings. While the state's police commissioner, Shane Patton, says yesterday a 32-year-old man was arrested while trying to leave one of the towers. There was a issue there where that male uh, tried to leave uh, against instructions. A fight occurred where the police were assaulted and uh, that male uh, bit one of the members and so he was taken into custody. Yeah, absolute chaos there and I saw on the news last night members of the community trying to gather around, give food to the people in those towers and you just can't help but feel for them. Imagining what it'd be like if you just had no food in the house and you're sitting there waiting on someone to deliver it. Yeah, I think one of the most insulting things I've heard is calling them vertical cruise ships. These things are not cruise ships. You know, they're pretty rough places to live at the best of times and a lot of vulnerable people in there. So terrible scenes in Melbourne. Victoria is now home to 97% of Australia's active cases, but over 10,000 Victorian people say they will refuse to get tested. So look, that has prompted a fresh call from the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to make testing compulsory and bring in penalties for those that refuse. It's a test that you should be taking and you're looking after your own health, your family's health and your neighbour's health. So I think it's a pretty reasonable thing for for the government to ask of people to do and people should comply. The Prime Minister speaking on 2GB last night. One of the main reasons I've heard for people not taking the test, Annika, is that they're worried about having to take the next few days off work. And there's been calls for a stipend, a small payment to help people go through that few days without work. Look, I was tested. It's pretty awful. And then I had to stay inside. And look, it's not fun, but we're all in this together. And I yeah. think I'm, I'm terribly surprised that 10,000 people won't take it. It's very unpleasant. There is a saliva test that's going around. It's meant to be a lot easier. So I just really hope that a lot, of, lot more people agree to be tested. And there's an update on the Facebook Stop Hate for Profit campaign that we briefed you about on Friday's show. Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg has agreed to meet with civil rights groups this week. At least 160 companies, including Starbucks and Coke, have pulled their ads for the month of July over claims it doesn't do enough to stop hate speech. Yeah, they've got a list of 10 demands, including pulling down white supremacy, Holocaust denialism and anti-vaxxer groups. Um, It'll be interesting to see what other concessions Facebook make in the coming days and weeks.
Security guards sleeping with people in quarantine. Guards also doing shifts as Uber drivers. Yeah, a lack of infection training, a massive shortage of personal protective equipment, quarantine guests going between rooms. These are just some of the alleged problems with Victoria's disastrous hotel quarantine management. We were trying to control the uh, virus, but the way they have done everything, I think we were spreading the virus. That's one of the guards speaking to Channel 9. Look, as Victoria heads into a lockdown again and potentially faces a second wave, let's find out what actually went wrong with hotel quarantine. Quarantining international travellers has been a huge part of our success, but obviously a huge part of recent failures. 70,000 people have flown in and spent two weeks cooped up in hotel rooms, and the majority of our COVID cases have come from this source, but we've managed to stop them transferring into the community until last month. Yeah, when Victoria dropped the ball at two hotels in particular, 31 cases have come from the Stanford Hotel in the CBD in Melbourne and 19 came from the Ridges Hotel Carlton. Andrew Lund is the Nine News reporter who's managed to get the guards to speak out. Here's what they've told him. Look, it was pretty surprising. Um, We spoke to a couple who said they had very minimal or no training at all, and by minimal, just a couple of minutes. Um, We spoke to one guy who said he was called up for a shift with less than an hour's notice, arrived at the hotel and was sent straight up to one of the floors with no training and was told the other guard on the floor will brief you. Got up to the floor, spoke to the other guard and it was his first day as well. This guard that we spoke to in this instance said he didn't even realise there were people with coronavirus in the hotel. He was telling us that they were carrying these people's luggage up to their room with no PPE. When they'd take them out for exercise, they'd sort of take them in potentially up to groups of four, so they'd have two guards, a group of four people in a lift, and the guards would be wearing at most just a mask. But then having done that, the guards would be going out to KFC or 7-Eleven on their break. So he said there was just no training on infection control at all. It sounds like shambles. Yeah, it sounds completely shambolic. The allegation that got a lot of people's attention was security guards sleeping with people in quarantine. Do you think there's any truth to that? Look, I don't know. Um, I I certainly haven't spoken to anybody who's um, been able to confirm it or is willing to admit to it, but (laughs) they had more than 120 security guards working at each hotel. They're doing 12-hour shifts, sitting up on the floors, not much to do. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. And looking at uh, the rumour mill where there's smoke, there tends to be fire. So who knows? Hopefully the judicial inquiry will be able to get to the bottom of that. The Premier's certainly blaming a a shared uh, cigarette lighter. Whether that's the case, I don't know. It seems beyond doubt that uh, the security guards have been the ones who've taken it back out into the community. So what do we know about how the virus spread beyond the security guards? Obviously, they've picked it up from working in these conditions and not being trained and perhaps sharing cigarette lighters. But how did it get into the community after that? From what the authorities have told us, at least one but possibly more went back out to their families and had um, some big family gatherings. A couple of them apparently timed around Eid, which is, of course, the big festival at the end of Ramadan. It doesn't take much, some big family gatherings, some hugs, and it's gone from there, really. Why do you think Victoria took a different approach? In New South Wales, they had defence personnel and police managing hotel quarantines. Why did Victoria rely on these private security companies? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, in the first instance, you can understand it. Obviously, the scheme was announced fairly quickly. You need to ramp up. You need numbers quickly. But as a long-term solution, I mean, some of these guards were doing it for three months. The security companies were using a lot of subcontractors as well, who, from what we've been told, were paying cash, paying around $24 an hour. 
So I suspect maybe, you know, obviously the subcontractors would have been taking a bit off the top, but that's a lot cheaper than what the government is now advertising for. They're advertising for residential support staff through the Department of Justice to run this program at $54 to $59 an hour. Let's talk now about the political fallout from this mismanagement. Here are some of the political reactions. The Health Minister, Jenny McCarkos, was responsible for the botched hotel quarantine program and I'm calling for her to be sacked. I have announced a full inquiry. A former judge will look at that matter and get us the answers that we need. These breaches are unacceptable to me. They're unacceptable to all Victorians. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus here like that. This is why we've got an inquiry. Let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at how and who and are they the right decisions and what's been the consequences of that. All right, so a lot of tension there. Andrew, who do you think's to blame? Look, I think it's clear there was a total lack of oversight and that probably comes from the department. I suspect the health minister probably had enough on her plate already and just assumed that she was getting what she was paying for. There clearly was an oversight from the department. If they'd gone in to ask any of the guards, they would have discovered pretty quickly that they'd had no training. They would have been able to see that they weren't wearing PPE. The issue is that it wasn't the Department of Health that organised the quarantine arrangement, it was the Department of Jobs, Regions and Precincts. So it's sort of a lot of blurred lines within government about just who is responsible. Daniel Andrews has sort of said, look, the buck stops with me. But I think uh, there's a couple of ministers and a a few department secretaries who might have some very serious questions to answer. And uh, I guess we'll see where this judicial inquiry apportions the blame. Just lastly, Andrew, you're, you're in Melbourne What's the mood there like? Are people scared or are they angry about what's happened with hotel quarantine? How are people responding? Look, I would say there's a lot of anger. Um, I think this is a situation none of us wanted to be in. And to find ourselves back where we were a few months ago, but this time because of government ineptitude, I think has really got a lot of people very angry. There's also, I think, a sense of despondency, like here we go again, just when we thought we were getting out the other side and we're looking at the rest of the country enjoying you know, beers in the sunshine and we're all being told to um, stay at home and lock ourselves in again. I think the mood in the community is one of frustration and a bit of anger, and I think that's going to be difficult for the government. Lundy, I just want to ask you one more question. We were political reporters together down in Melbourne and you have seen scandal after scandal in state government. Where does this one rate? It's up there. Um, I think this is probably the, this is probably the biggest issue that Daniel Andrews has had to deal with in his time as Premier. And let's not forget that three weeks ago he lost three ministers to branch stacking allegations. This pales in significance. Um, I think because it impacts so many people's lives so adversely and it is all down to a lack of government oversight and government incompetence. Like wherever the, the blame ends up landing the vast majority of people see this as being the government's fault. That was Andrew Lunn there from Channel 9 who's been covering this. So this seems like a third big mistake governments have made that have really got COVID to spread within the community. Tom, do you think that we should be disappointed in our leaders at this stage? Yeah, I think so. You mentioned the other cases. So we've had the Ruby Princess, Newmarch House and now this. Hopefully we don't see people dying from this mistake in Melbourne. I also hope that this is something we can get under control in the next few days and weeks. And this might be that wake-up call we needed to move forward with extreme caution as we roll back some of the restrictions. Yeah, I think people were getting a little bit complacent there as pubs started to open. So hopefully this is a little bit of a message to people that we need to continue to social distance and really take this seriously. 
Tomorrow on The Briefing, how your poo, well, our sewerage, could help in the fight against COVID-19. Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.